Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here with you this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, will you please open them up to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30 is the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. We, we're going to be continuing our, our, our series through facing the, the giants, um, this little mini-series that we have uh, found or, or have decided to block out in the Sermon of the Mount. Um, we have been journeying through the Sermon of the Mount now for several months, and we've just been focusing on this uh, pursuit of Christ, that a Christian is fir- first and foremost a follower of Jesus, and, and the whole Sermon of the Mount is the unpacking of what that looks like. But what we see here in this section in chapter 5 is that Jesus uh, starts to address certain issues in which he finds in the culture, six things that he sees in the culture in which needs to be addressed and spoken about in order for those particular group of people to be able to uh, pursue Christ well and pursue him properly. And so we look at these six things and we notice that they are just as applicable for us today. And some of you might struggle with some of them. Some of you might not struggle with all of them. Some of you might struggle with all of them. But it is just something that we need to focus, be wary of, look out for if we are going to get more and more of Jesus. And Jesus tells us these things because he, does, because he wants us to have a greater joy in him. I just I want to emphasize it this morning. That Jesus is addressing these giants not because he wants to be a buzzkill. Not because he has seen the Pharisees and seen the, the Israelite people having a whole lot of fun. And he goes, man, I don't want you to have it. And so I'm going to give you these commandments because I'm God and because I can. But rather he wants to help us to understand that the joy is not found in these things, but the joy is found in pursuit of Jesus. That's where true joy is found. And so he addresses this not because he wants to take away your joy, but rather he wants to point you to work towards where real joy is found. Does it make sense? That's so important for us. And so have that in mind as we we dive into the second giant in which we're going to be looking at. It says this, verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that that your whole body go into hell. So Jesus starts off this passage like he will for the remainder of the section uh, of these things addressing, you have heard of old, and then he will say, but I now say to you. And he speaks in this particular one, he says, you have heard, do not commit adultery. Now that sounds familiar to us, right? The seventh of the tenth commandments, uh, do not commit adultery. So this was a common one that was taught and known well. But the Pharisees, like they had done with the previous, uh, previous one that Jesus addresses, is that he, they take this concept or the saying, do not commit adultery, and they box it in to only mean committing adultery. So let me give you an example. For them, they thought that it was only if they slept with another man's wife was they committing adultery. For the Israelite people before this point, if they went and had uh, and went and slept with a a virgin or a, a woman that was not married, it was not sinful, because this commandment only says adultery. 
It doesn't talk about other sexual sin, and so therefore it was okay for them to do all those other things. Do you see that? And so they had just taken it as this and this alone. But what they had failed to see is that the tenth commandment, the very last commandment, says do not covet. And the very example it gives is do not covet another man's wife. And so they had failed to put the connection between the two that actually adultery can also not only be an, an, the actual act, but it can also be a very intent or desire in your heart. And Jesus points that out today. Jesus goes and says, man, I tell you that you have committed adultery if you look, at, um, if you look lustfully in your heart. It's a heart issue. Sin, and we can, we can not only just talk about lust this morning, but let's, let's talk about sin. Sin is a heart issue. It's not just the action. And this is, this is so, so important for us to understand that the action itself might be sinful, but it's, it stems and comes from the heart. Because if we just think that sin is just the action itself, man, we miss out on so much. There's, this, there's a school of thought that is going around and has been for, for uh, the last century or so that humanity is going to get better over time. Man, medicine, education, the culture will just improve over time as we as a human species have improved over time. And so what will happen is sin will slowly, over centuries of time, we'll, we will just become perfect people. And we will, we will no longer sin as much as we did. And this will happen. Because sin is not a heart issue, it's an action. And we can teach and change action. The problem is with having the thought that sin is just an action and not a heart issue, is that we may as well get rid of most of the gospel. Because, man, why, if sin is just the action and not a heart, why would it, Jesus really need to come and die for our sin when he could have just taught us differently? Why would Jesus set his face upon Jerusalem, just making sure that he goes to Jerusalem, and when he gets there, he tells his disciples not to defend him because he needs to go and die? Why does he say that, man, he could call down a legion of angels to come and defend him, but he won't because all righteousness won't be fulfilled? If it was just an action, Jesus wouldn't have done all of those things. But it's a heart thing. Jesus wouldn't have been sent. There would be no need for us to be reborn and made new, a new creation. Man, we wouldn't even have to do evangelism. We wouldn't have to. But the thing is, we can't teach people to be better. We just can't. I mean, to a certain degree, but we can't change the heart. How do we know that? It's because the law of Moses was given centuries beforehand, right? God literally came to the people and said, this is how you live and this is how you're not. And they weren't able to do it. He came and they taught them how righteousness and holiness was needed to be lived out. And they could not do it. It was ne it, they could never change the action because it was always a heart issue that needed to be changed. And we can't change that ourselves. So let me, let me explain. It's like we needing to trim the fruit of the tree. We come and we trim the fruit off the tree, but if we don't deal with the roots, man, the fruit's always going to appear. If we don't deal with the heart, man, the actions are always going to come. No matter how we try and what we do, the actions will always appear. So this particular morning, we're dealing with lust. Maybe there are those who are struggling with pornography. And you come along, and there are many practical things that I can say. 
I can, there are things like, man, you just need to delete all the stuff off your phone. There are apps you can download that we sometimes do with our teenagers. What you do is you download the app and you put in your details and you put somebody else's details in. And when you log on to something that shouldn't, they get a message saying you've done it. <laughs> so you don't want to log on to your phone because the person you've asked to hold you accountable suddenly gets a message and you get in the phone call 30 seconds later. But the reality of the matter is if your heart hasn't changed and you're just trying to trim off the fruit, you're going to figure out a way to get around those apps. You're going to log into somebody else's computer because the heart hasn't changed. It's the same with adultery. You might be with a colleague that is, you get into friendly, you know you shouldn't be doing it. And it's with every intent you try and stop at the moment, you get weak. If you haven't dealt with the heart, the actions are just going to start appearing. You're going to start getting friendly again when you shouldn't. Do you understand what I'm saying? That there's this real need for us to make sure that we deal with the heart and not just the action. Because if we deal with just the action, it's just going to reappear and reappear and reappear over and over again. And so this particular issue, we need to, we need to um, find out how do we do, do that with lust. That's what we're looking at this morning. And the first thing that we need to do is what is the primary problem with adultery in this case. I've done my fair share of uh, talks at summer camps and now and again I get asked to choose one and one of the first ones I always choose is a boys only um, talk on pornography and uh, I'll do a talk on it and we'll chat about it and at the end of it there will be a Q&A time where the guys are allowed to ask a bunch of questions. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. What about this? What about that? And they ask questions. And one of the very first questions that gets asked every year is where is the line? Where is the line? Where do I know when now I am sitting? The, the intent behind that question is because they want to know how far they can go. They never want to, not so I can see the line, so I can run away from the line. The, the, the intent is, how much can I still do, Joe? That's essentially where the heart is coming out of the question. And unfortunately for them, I never give them the answer that they want. The issue always is lust. That's where the line is. It's not about what, how much he's wearing or not wearing. The issue, boys, when I'm talking to them, is lust. She could be wearing all the clothes under the sun, but it's lust. It's lust that is the problem and is the issue that is with all these things. It's not just the action, but it's the lust in the heart. But even as I say that, there's this real question of what is lust? How do I know when I'm lusting and when I'm not? So he has, a, he has a, 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 just a couple of stages of lust. And some of them are, aren't sinful. So hear, hear me here. And the first one is uh, an innocent attraction. So it's innocent, not sinful. Man, God has made us as men and women to be attracted to one another. And there's nothing wrong with being attracted to the opposite sex. It's just not. Uh, you can think that the man is handsome, the lady is beautiful, and that's fine. God has made us with eyes to see, and that's how we find our spouses, right? So it is it's perfectly fine. So that's the, the first one. Innocent stage, not sinful. The second one is once we notice there's a temptation that arises to take it further. The temptation is to let's ponder upon a thought. Let's maybe if the attracted person is someone who is married and you married, and the, the hey, maybe I should just get to know that person a little more. The temptation arises to now take it further than you should. Again, temptation is not sinful. 
Jesus was tempted. We see, so, we see in Matthew 4 that Jesus himself was tempted. So temptation is not bad. It's the result of what you choose to do with the temptation that can lead to either innocence or, or not. It's either when now that you're tempted, are you going to run away or, or are you going to entertain it? There's this choice that needs to be made. And this is where if you choose not to run away, it becomes an issue. And the third stage is lustful intent. This is not even actually doing the action. This is just the intent on doing it. This is the intent. Oh, man, yeah, I've, I see that, that colleague over there. She's looking beautiful today, or he is. And now I'm going to go and have a conversation and, and be a little bit, bit, bit flirty, tell her how good she's looking today or how you like her handbag or whatever, however you do it. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> be specific, apparently. Don't just say you're pretty. Tell them what you particularly like. It's a, um, and so there's this intent to go there, and you set your heart on this desire. It, it becomes an obsession. Think of Potiphar's wife. You know the story of Joseph and, and Potiphar? When Joseph was a, a slave, and he now works himself the top slave, and apparently he was a good-looking chap. Um, and Potiphar's wife, the owner of the house, saw Joseph, got attracted to, fine, sees him, he's good-looking. But now the temptation arises to do something, and she, instead of choosing to ignore it, what does she do? To entertain it. She becomes obsessed. She tries many different ways in which to, to get Joseph to come along, doing lots. The obsession starts to take place. It's persistent thoughts that happen in our heads. But it goes a little bit even further than that. that some of the commentators will look at this uh, passage and say that it even is... We could read the section um, in the Greek. You could possibly translate it saying, everyone who looks at a woman with a purpose of getting her to lust. So not only is it you going, hey, check me out. You, it, well, it is, but it's, it's trying to get her to get attracted to you or him to get attracted to you. It's not only just a, hey, let's, let's chat and you lusting, it's you trying to get them to lust. And this really becomes the, the question of dressing attractively and seductively. There's two different ways, and I think we all know where that line is, and the intent is, dressing attractively and seductively. So it can also be trying to get them to lust after you. And then, of course, the final stage and uh, is engaging in the actual sex, sexual sin. And so this can be watching pornography, this can be committing actual adultery and if both parties obviously agree that happens but it can also be the cause where sexual abuse and rape has, happens as a result but here i want to i want to point out something that while jesus says that the issue starts off with lust the intent in the heart and both the actual action and the lust are bad the action is far worse so I, I think we must understand that. So we mustn't go, oh, I've already done all the bad stuff in my heart, so I may as well just continue with doing it. I, I'm already here, so I may as well just have the affair, or I may as well just turn on the computer and do it, because I've already done all the bad stuff in my heart. No, no, no. The action is far worse. Why? Because the consequences are far greater. Man, the stuff in the heart you and God can deal with, but once you do the action, there are other people involved. It's her family that suddenly gets wrecked. It's your family that gets wrecked. It's your children that suffer. It's more, it becomes bigger than you. And the reality of the matter is you're never able to go back on it. 
as much as you can ask for forgiveness. The, the damage is done, and while there might be repair, there can happen, and over time, by the grace of God, it is really, really hectic. And so, while sin is equally bad across the board, the consequences of this is bad. And, of course, we're just talking about the seriousness of it, but it is serious. But you might say, Joe, but why... Why take so serious lust in the heart? But besides the fact that it generally, most of the time, leads to something that it shouldn't. Why do we take it? Well, firstly, Jesus takes it seriously, right? I mean, he, he's preaching on it. So he sees it as such an issue that he feels it needs to be addressed. So it's something in which we need to take seriously as well. Not only that Matthew thinks that Jesus has placed enough emphasis on this and sees it as important that he would record it so the rest of us and the rest of people that he's writing to might know about it. And even in what Jesus says, he uses some, quite some strong language, doesn't he? Let's read it again. Verse um, 29 to 30, it says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. I mean, that's hectic. For it is better for you to lose one of your members, uh, well, part of your body, than to lose your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it's better to you to lose uh, one of your members than your whole body to be going to hell. Jesus takes lust seriously. Just the intent in your heart to stop the action, Jesus clearly takes it seriously. Now, I must say here that Jesus is not being literal. Okay? He's just trying to emphasize the seriousness of the matter. He's not being literal because let's if how do, firstly, how do you lust with only one of your eyes and not both of them? So cut out if your right eye causes you to sin, or do you look in skew in the same uh, and if and let's be honest, if we're to take both of our eyes out and cut off all your hands and limbs, you could still lust. So there's a guy named Oregon. He was back in the fourth century. He went and took this literally and castrated himself and later regretted it a lot because he realized it didn't help the problem. And he says this. He says that a Christian must amputate the passions of the soul without touching the body. So Jesus is not being literal here because, man, literally, I'm not going to hand a bunch of axes afterwards to sort ourselves out here. But what he is saying is this is deadly serious. This is deadly, deadly serious. And what you need to do is cut it off now. Get rid of it. Cast it aside. You must prevent it at the earliest stages. Get rid of it because it is one of the most dangerous things in which we can suffer and struggle with as humans. And so this is a massive thing that we need to do. Get rid of it. Cast it aside. It might be tough and difficult, but do it. So how do we do that? How do we fight against lust? And, and while I say lust this morning, I understand that maybe you go, to I don't struggle with this. What we're going to talk about this morning, the principles in which I use, this is how we fight lust, you can apply this to other sin as well. Particularly sins in which result in desire. So the way I'm going to say this is how we tackle it, you can apply it elsewhere. So even if you say, man, this is not something I struggle with. Make sure you listen because you can use it with other things and you struggle with. The first thing that we need to do when it comes to lust and in sin in general that results in a temptation is that you need to see its intent. Now let me explain that. When lust comes along, it comes packaged as something great, doesn't it? 
It presents itself as an opportunity, a, a thing that you get to do that will satisfy you, that will give you joy, that will this is the thing you need. You just need this, and man, you will be satisfied. But I want to tell you now that while it is packaged like that, inside the content is to do the complete opposite. Jesus says this in John 10, verse 10. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so this temptation of lust, which is a sinful thing presented by the thief, Satan, is primarily so that when you see this, when you see this temptation that arises in you, it is to not give you satisfaction, church. It is to take your satisfaction away. It's not to give you a lasting joy. It's temporal, but it's really to take your temporal away, uh, your, your, uh, your joy away. Man, it, it might come and say, this is where life is, but rather it wants to destroy your life. It wants to destroy your relationship with God. It wants to destroy your relationship with your spouse and your kids. And so there's this massive thing in which when we feel tempted that there's this need for us in our minds, though it is there presenting itself as good, that we know its intent is not good but bad. To kill, to steal, to destroy. And this is good for us when we can go, man, no, no, you're saying that, but this is not good for me. And so the first thing that we need to do is we need to make sure that we see that lust, when it presents itself the way it does, it's not there for our goodness, but for our, our bad. You get that? It's the first way to tackle it because you go, no, that's not right. That's not good. But the, but the problem is, is that... If we only know this is bad, but it does give us some joy, let's be honest. There's joy in the moment. It will, it's fleeting. That's why you keep going back to it. It's, it doesn't fully satisfy. That's why you keep running there. But there is some satisfaction. If that is there and there is no other joy that is greater that you know of, you're always going to run back to the only joy that you know. Does that make sense? So if we've got this steak, leathery, well done, maybe if that's like how you steak, maybe then think of rare, bloody, uh, but this well done steak that's got marinade, that's got a poison that is slowly killing you, but you know of no other food, you've never tasted anything else, but you're hungry, where are you going to go? You're going to go keep going back. We need to, if we are to fight the pleasures of lust and sin, is to find another pleasure that is greater. Not only to recognize that it's bad for us, but recognize that there's something that lasts longer, better, and greater for us. Thankfully, Jesus says in John 10 verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give life and life to the fullest, life abundantly is that not only do we need to realize that with lust it comes along and says, man, I am here to kill you, but rather there is something else that it gives you a joy that lasts, a satisfaction that lasts, that does give you life, that does build up your relationships, that does do everything that you are longing for and needing is satisfied where? In Christ. Nowhere else. And so there is this need to not only see this is bad for me, but man, here is a greater joy for me. And that is found in Jesus. 
and there's pleasures at his right hand forevermore. There's a fullness of joy in his presence. Psalm 16. This is waiting for us. But again, we find another challenge. As though now you recognize that this is bad and there's a greater joy here. The problem is we've only ever tasted that and never tasted that. Even for us as Christians, hear me here. A lot of us have never truly experienced the satisfaction joy of Christ. And so what do we do? We keep running to our sin. Why? Because we don't necessarily trust that. We know this. We know this gives us some joy. We know this satisfies a bit. But we don't know about that yet. I have never tasted Mulva pudding, and so I don't know if it tastes phenomenal, and it does. But you don't know. You don't know that that's this buffet of food here. Is that really tasty? Because this, this is fine. I enjoy this. Are you following me still? And so what happens is, though this is presented for us, we always keep running back to the old, the bad. We need to have faith that this is good. Because it is a step of faith, right? You've never tasted. You've never enjoyed. You've never experienced this joy. And so what's required in you is a step of faith to come after this. It's required that. So how do we do that? How do we stir this faith up inside of us? How do we do that? The way we stir this faith up inside of us, church, and what we need to remember is that our faith is most secure and strong when it is set on who God is. Last week was awesome. We spoke about God and who he is, the names of God. It's not, our faith is not most secure when it's set on the promises of God. I want to hear, hear me here. Because God promises that he will give us joy, but we just don't trust that he really will. Because we don't trust the person who's making the promises. You get that? So we don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't trust the person who's making the promises and therefore we hear the promises and he says he is the fullness of our joy and he says this pleasure, he says that this is bad for me, but I'm just not quite sure because I don't necessarily trust him well. And when we run to our sin, it is a lack of faith in who God is. And so there is this need for us to stir up faith in the person of God. And the way we do this best is we look at the cross. Man, we just look to Jesus on the cross. Remind ourselves over and over again of the wonder of the cross, this wonder of Jesus. I was talking about us at a cell group on, on Thursday night. And I was saying, man, so often, if you heard me speak about this before, so often we get bored of the cross because we've heard about it so much. It's like a new, a new cell phone when you first get it. I don't know about you guys, but when I first get mine, I don't want to drop it. I'm so careful where I place it. But months down the line, I'm chucking it onto my bed. I don't know why it fell. I'll pick it up later. Because there, there was this lack of awe that is gone. And in a similar way, it comes with the cross. And if we allow that to happen, our faith in God decreases and decreases and decreases. And we find ourselves falling more and more and more into sin. But we look at the cross. We look at Jesus. And what do we see there, man? We see a love that is unconditional. 
It is when we look at the cross, we see our God, our Savior, who loves us when we were at our worst, when we were called the enemies of God, that He came and He died for us. Why is this important? Because, man, if He loves me so much, surely He's going to continue on loving me even now. If He's willing to die for me that I might experience this love of God, surely He's going to give me the best things that are possible for me. Why would He come and die for me and then say, ah, I know I said I was going to give you joy, but I won't. No. We can trust him. Man, he's also a God who is faithful. God made a promise in Genesis 3, right at the beginning. When Adam and Eve sinned and they were there, he said, I'm going to send a son who's going to crush the head of the serpent. Genesis 3. And the whole of the Old Testament is building up to the coming of that person who's going to crush the head of the serpent, Jesus It's all building up. God made one promise and for the rest of the whole of uh, the Bible, he is building to this moment of being, sending Jesus to be faithful to his promise. Faithful. When, When we look at the cross, we see God fulfilling a great promise for us. The greatest promise. Surely then the rest of the promises he promises to fulfill, he will. We can trust him. There's faith there. You can build up faith by seeing how God is faithful. Man, he, and when we look at the cross, we see how God is able. He's able. He defeated sin and death through his death and resurrection. The greatest feat, one that we could never do ourselves. We could never defeat sin, as we discussed in the beginning. We could never change the heart. We can only try change the action, but we can never change the hearts. But yeah, Christ is doing what we could not And so when he promises to give us a joy that is lasting, we can trust that he is able. When he says, I will satisfy you, church, he promises that he can do it. He is able. Not this other sin stuff. He is able. (laughs) When we look at the cross, we know that God knows best. Because Genesis 3, Adam and Eve thought they knew best. Let me eat of that fruit. God said I shouldn't, but he just doesn't want us to know and experience what we should. So what they do is they eat of it. Sin and death into the world. And God has to come and fix the problem at the cross. And when God says to us, church, that stuff there is bad for you. Come to me. This is where life is. This is where joy is. We can trust him. Because he knows best. He knows best. The only way to successfully fight against lust is to fight it with a greater pleasure. And that greater pleasure is Jesus. Man, we can talk about actions, and I'm going to talk about some now, just some practical action things that we can do. Not loads practically, but just some things I want you to think about. Is when Jesus talks about cutting off and gouging out Gouging out the eye and cutting it off, he's saying, run away from temptation. One of the major things when it comes to temptation is don't play with it. Avoid it. And we know in certain circumstances in which we are tempted most. Delete the apps of your phone. Go ahead. Stay away from it. It's like telling a person who struggles with alcohol, stop walking home past the pub. Take a different route. Why? Because you know that you're going to walk past and you're going to get tempted. It's the same thing with other things. Stay away from temptation. What is the point, church, of praying praying like the Lord has taught us in his Lord's Prayer? uh, 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 
lead me not into temptation. And then we go and put ourselves there. Lord, don't put me in temptation's way. And then we go and put ourselves. That just seems silly. Stay away from temptation. Flee from sin, says at 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee it. Get away from it. Again, the gouging out thing also means, man, it's going to be tough. <laughs> it's going to be difficult. It might mean ending relationships with long lost, long lifetime friends because you're getting too cozy. It might mean that. Difficult, hard. It might, might mean stop hanging out with a group of friends. It might mean deleting of things. It is difficult because you want it. But it's valuable to you, like your hand in your eye, cut it off. Because as Jesus says, it's, the consequences are far greater than just the loss that you're going to experience. Make sure you deal with it. And lastly, I want to say that it's not too late. It's not too late. Church, it's not too late. You might be down a road that is far too long. You should have stopped long ago. I want to tell you, it's not too late. Whatever sin it might be, whether it be lust or something else, whether it be relationship with something or something else, it's not too late. By the grace of God, Jesus Christ can pull you out of that miry clay. Man, his arms are long and they're loving. They're able to reach down into the pit you find yourself in and pull you out of it. If it's today's message that challenges your heart, thank Jesus that you're able to cut it off. If you've been caught out, thank Jesus that you've been caught. Because it's by God's grace that it stopped where it did. Church, I want to end off with this again. The only way you can successfully fight against the pleasures of lust or the pleasures of sin is to fight it with a greater pleasure. And that is Jesus. That is Jesus. Deal with the heart, not the action. Deal with the heart, not the action. Let us pray. Lord, we are so thankful that we are able to come before you this morning and know that you are our great pleasure. Man, in Christ, we are able to experience Jesus. We experience the joy that comes with knowing you, Lord. To know the extent of your love, the extent of your grace. To know that in you there's a lasting joy. There's a lasting satisfaction. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us. We are so fickle. We, we run off to sin that gives us false promises of joy and satisfaction. Help us to have eyes to see that it is there to kill us, destroy us, and steal our joy. Destroy our relationships and destroy our relationship with you and our families. Help us to see that, Lord. Help us to see you so clearly, knowing that you are the one that satisfies. That our hearts are made for you. That you alone can deal with this sin, I pray. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.